What's the first image that comes to mind? What's the first thing you think of? Uh, You may get a picture of Jesus sitting peacefully in a meadow, cradling a lamb surrounded by flowers and birds. We've all seen Jesus portrayed that way. Or, Or you might get an image based on Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd, I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. It's a beautifully peaceful image, isn't it? When Jesus refers to himself as the good shepherd, it's easy to imagine him sat on a grassy hillside teaching a placid and receptive crowd. Nothing could be further from the truth. Jesus was in Jerusalem for the Feast of Tabernacles and the atmosphere was electric. There was mounting hostility towards Jesus. He wasn't addressing a receptive crowd. He was facing an angry and oftentimes confused mob. I think this is best demonstrated by highlighting a few key verses from the preceding three chapters. So uh, chapter 7 verse 1 says, The Jewish leaders were looking for a way to kill him. Verse 20 The crowd accused Jesus of being demon-possessed. Verse 30, the crowd tried to seize Jesus, but he escaped. Verse 32, the temple guards were sent to arrest Jesus, but he spoke with such authority that they daren't lay a hand on him. Uh, Verse 44, again the people want to seize him. In chapter 8, 48, Jesus is accused of being a Samaritan and demon-possessed. Samaritans were a particularly unpopular group of people. Uh, verse 52 again they accused Jesus of being demon possessed you see they wanted to be able to explain his healing miracles without attributing them to God and so the only option that laid uh, that was left was demon possession they kept accusing him of that in verse 59 they picked up stones to stone him uh, but he was able to slip away and in chapter 9 verse 22 the Jewish leaders declared that anyone who acknowledged Jesus as the Messiah would be put out of the synagogue, effectively excommunicated. I think we get the idea. Jesus is in a highly volatile, dangerous, and stressful situation. He is literally walking on a knife edge. But despite all the hostility, there are plenty of people who aren't really sure what to make of Jesus. And there are others who are convinced that he is indeed Israel's Messiah. In chapter 9, immediately before today's reading, we have this uh, situation where Jesus heals a man who's been blind since birth. And, And this causes a massive commotion, and the Pharisees interrogate the man who's been healed. And this chapter, the one preceding the one we're in today, is all about one question. Is Jesus God or not? For the man born blind, the more he's questioned, the more clearly he's able to see the truth. Initially, when he's asked, who healed you? He says, the man they call Jesus. Later on, he refers to Jesus as a prophet. When they question him further, he reasons uh, that Jesus must be from God, otherwise he wouldn't have the power to heal. And then towards the end of the chapter, the man says, Lord, I believe, and he worshipped him. What a contrast between the man born blind and the Pharisees. The man born blind is effectively converted by his own healing and then by the subsequent exchange that he has with the Pharisees. He's had his eyes opened in a literal and spiritual sense. The Pharisees, on the other hand, remain blind. 
They regard themselves as infallible guides to the ignorant masses. Uh, and in spite of the evidence, they, they, they've ruled out the possibility of Jesus being who he claimed to be. The Pharisees thought they were shepherding the flock, but this really is a case of the blind leading the blind. And this is where Jesus introduces a very familiar image, that of a shepherd and his sheep. In a society where the majority of people worked on the land, images from farming and agriculture would have been immediately accessible. But there's far more to it than that. Uh, this is an image that, that's frequently used in the Hebrew Bible in the Old Testament to denote the relationship between the true and rightful king and his people, even between God and his people. You remember our reading from Ezekiel this morning where it says, For this is what the sovereign Lord says, I myself will search for my sheep and look after them, as a shepherd looks after his scattered flock when he is with them. So will I look after my sheep. So Jesus is introducing a new question. Who is the true leader of Israel? Who is the true leader of God's people? Who is the true shepherd? He starts by saying that anyone who does not enter the sheep pen by the gate, but climbs in by some other way, is a thief and a robber. The one who enters by the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. The one who climbs over the wall is the one who tries to circumvent God's plan. Uh, the, the, the one motivated by self-interest rather than by a desire to do God's will. Israel had, had plenty of false shepherds and they would see plenty more. Uh, revolutionary leaders who wanted to expel the Romans by force. King Herod who deceitfully sidled up to the Romans to secure his own power base. And of course the Pharisees who doggedly reject Jesus because uh, they're worried that he'll upset the status quo and jeopardize their cushy position. But the true shepherd comes in by the gate, and he will live and act in accordance with God's will. He won't be motivated by self-interest. He will simply want to uh, achieve and accomplish God's sovereign plan. Jesus says the gatekeeper opens the gate for him, and the sheep listen to his voice. In Jesus' day, just about every village would have had a sheep pen, and each shepherd would be responsible for a certain number of sheep. And at night time, all of the shepherds would gather all of the sheep, and they would bring them into the same sheep pen. Now, to our mind, we think, well, wouldn't they get muddled up? Don't sheep all look pretty much the same? How would they know whose sheep were whose? Uh, well, the shepherd would know or rather the sheep would know their shepherd's voice. When the shepherd called his sheep out of the pen, they'd follow. A shepherd would spend the majority of his life with his sheep. Uh, he'd know them as well as uh, you and I might know our pets. Uh, he, he'd, he'd have a name for each one of them, which is, I think, what we'd expect. Uh, I don't suppose any of you have got a dog with no name. Probably haven't got a goldfish with no name. Jesus says of this shepherd that he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. You can still see this in the Middle East today. Shepherds don't use dogs to herd their sheep like they do uh, here in Australia. Uh, they walk ahead of the sheep calling and the sheep follow along behind them. It's quite amazing to watch. And the sheep won't respond to a stranger. They'll only respond to their shepherd. 
So what is the sheep pen in Jesus' analogy? What does the sheep pen represent? Well, the sheep pen represents the nation of Israel. And Jesus is the shepherd. He calls his sheep. They listen to his voice and he leads them out. But in verse 16, Jesus says he has other sheep uh, that are not of this sheep pen. In other words, Jesus isn't just calling people from Israel. He's calling people from outside of Israel too. He's calling Jews and Gentiles alike. Uh, This is very good news. I'm guessing that most of us here today are not Jewish. Uh, Jesus came not just for Israel, which is what the Jews were expecting. He came for the whole of humanity. It's wonderful news. And if we look through John's gospel, despite the hostility towards Jesus, we see a lot of people responding to his call. Earlier, I gave you some examples of the uh, malevolent and malicious intentions of the Pharisees and the crowds. But in amongst those readings, those verses... We also read things like this, uh, chapter 731. Still many in the crowd believed in him. They said, when the Messiah comes, will he perform more miracles than this man? 741 says, others said, he is the Messiah. In chapter 8, verse 41, Jesus addresses the Jews who believed in him. And then, of course, in chapter 9, the man born blind goes as far as to worship Jesus as his God. He's put out of the synagogue because of it. These are the sheep who hear the shepherd's voice and follow him. They will not follow a stranger. They will not listen to any other voice. So picture this baying crowd, shouting abuse, asking questions, getting confused, wanting to kill Jesus. Uh, Within this crowd, within this sheep pen that is Israel, there are those who God has chosen, and they respond positively to Jesus and his message. Do you know in life there are a lot of voices coming at us all the time? The world is a noisy place with with, with TV, the media, social media, personal interactions. It can feel like we're in the midst of a confused crowd with everyone shouting a slightly different message. And there are a lot of voices that try to drown out Jesus' voice. It could be family members, vociferous atheists, Facebook memes, false teachers who are given an international platform by the internet, film, media, and so on. We are bombarded with directives about what we should believe, how we should think, how we should behave, how we should live. Some of it, some of these directives that are coming at us, line up with the gospel. Most of them don't. The question is, can we still hear Jesus' voice? Do we recognize it? Are we willing to follow Jesus? Well, according to Jesus, if we belong to him, the answer to all of those questions is yes. But sheep can be stubborn, and it takes some longer to respond than others. When I served in the Royal Marines, I knew the Christian message. It was, it was up here as head knowledge, uh, but I didn't respond to it. And there was tremendous pressure to conform to a certain lifestyle, and it, it, it wasn't a, a wholesome lifestyle. I was surrounded by a crowd who had no interest in who Jesus is or what he came to do. But despite all the confusion and the noise, I could still hear Jesus calling me even then. At the time, I found it quite uh, disturbing, unsettling. Uh, Now I look back, I find it very reassuring. Uh, But I mention this because there may just be one person here today 
who is still in the sheep pen, surrounded by noisy, jostling, confused sheep. But you can hear Jesus calling. And I urge you, if that's you today, leave the sheep pen and follow Jesus. So Jesus gave this analogy about sheep and their shepherd. But you'll notice that first he didn't apply it to himself. He just gave the analogy and allowed his hearers to fill in the gaps. Uh, But the Pharisees didn't understand, so Jesus elaborates. He says, I'm the gate for the sheep. All who have come before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep have not listened to them. I'm the gate. Whoever entered through me will be saved. Now you might be thinking, hang on a minute, I thought Jesus said he's the shepherd. Now he's saying the gate. Which is it? I'm confused. Well, this is only a metaphor, so we shouldn't get too hung up on it. Uh, But in a way, it's both. Sheep uh, really were, uh, sorry, shepherds really were gates. Uh, A shepherd would literally lie across the entrance to the sheep pen, lie across the the gate at night to prevent any of the sheep from escaping and to prevent uh, predators and wild animals from getting in. Uh, What's more, when the sheep were entering and leaving the sheep pen, the shepherd would stand uh, in the gate with his staff and he'd stop each sheep as it was passing by and check it over and and then let it go on its way. So shepherds, uh, in a sense, were literally gates. But like I say, we shouldn't get too caught up on the details of this metaphor. The details aren't important. What's important is that Jesus is saying that he is the gate that leads to salvation. And it's as if uh, several of Jesus' sayings um, uh, converge on this same spot. In Matthew seven thirteen to 14, Jesus says, Enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many enter through it. But small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life, and only a few find it. John 14, verse 6, Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Are you starting to see a pattern? Life, true life, comes through Jesus and only through Jesus. And just in case you're not convinced, uh, in the context of today's passage, Jesus says, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy, but I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. As we've already seen, the thieves and robbers that Jesus spoke about could be power mongers like Herod the Great or violent revolutionaries or uh, scheming, unbelieving Pharisees. But Jesus here talks about the thief. And I don't think we'd be wrong to interpret this as the devil who comes to steal and kill and destroy. The devil wants to rob you of dignity. He wants to destroy God's image within you. He wants to see you separated from God forever. In short, the devil wants to take your life from you. He wants to kill you. By contrast, Jesus offers life in all its fullness. But what do we mean by that? What is fullness of life? Well, firstly, what is it not? Fullness of life is not creating some kind of utopian domestic bliss 1.8 children, Labrador retriever, five-bedroom house, swimming pool, manicured lawn, shiny new car. That's not fullness of life, far from it. Fullness of life is not racking up as many experiences as we can so that we can post them on Facebook and make everyone jealous. Uh, 
relaxing in a beautiful looking spa or swimming pool in Bali, sipping cocktails, might be a lovely thing to do, but it's not fullness of life. Being really successful in our career or our profession, making our na- a name for ourselves, getting to the top, does not constitute fullness of life. The self-help gurus and the advertisers will scream this stuff at us. But the truth is, we could do all of the, the above and still be desperately miserable and hopelessly lost. True life is knowing the love of God expressed through Jesus Christ. It's knowing God's purpose for our lives and fulfilling it, not just in the here and now, but for all eternity. Fullness of life can be messy, painful, and complicated. But if we are moving towards God, we have nothing to fear and everything to hope for. C.S. Lewis painted a wonderful picture of what awaits us in the new creation. He wrote, The term is over. The holidays have begun. The dream is ended. This is the morning. All their life in this world had only been the cover and the title page. Now at last they were beginning chapter one of the great story, which no one on earth has read, which goes on forever, in which every chapter is better than the one before. That is ultimately what Jesus meant when he said, I come that they may have life and have it to the full. Think of those voices in the crowd that shout and bay, trying to turn us away from Jesus, trying to turn us away from fullness of life. They shout for atheism, humanism, consumerism, materialism, spiritualism, new age, self-actualization. The list is endless. Can those who shout so vociferously against Jesus and his message save us? Could the Pharisees and their dead religion save the lost sheep of Israel? Of course not. Jesus compares them to the hired hand who flees at the first sign of danger. When the wolf comes, they leg it and leave the sheep to get eaten. The hired hand doesn't care about the sheep. He just wants to get paid. Do you think uh, Richard Dawkins or any of those other uh, very vocal atheists care about you? Do you think the author of the book, and this is an actual book that I found, the author of the book, You Are a Badass, How to Stop Doubting Your Greatness and Start Living an Awesome Life, do you think that author cares about you? Do you think the false teachers who promise the name of Christ, or or rather who claim the name of Christ, and promise material wealth in this life, care about you? They are all motivated by something, but they are not motivated by their love for you. They're like the hired hands or the phony shepherds. Jesus said, I am the good shepherd and I lay down my life for my sheep. How do we know who is the true leader of God's people? How do we know who is the true shepherd, the true king, the true Messiah, the one who truly does God's will? We know because when the sheep are facing danger, The shepherd goes out to meet it, and if necessary, he will take upon himself the fate that would otherwise befall his sheep. Jesus was willing to die for us. That is how we know we can trust him. That is why we hear his voice and we follow him. Being in the world is a bit like being in a noisy crowd 
of competing voices. There's confusion, there's misinformation, there's downright lies. And that is the scene that this passage today is set in. When Jesus said, I am the good shepherd, this is what he was surrounded by. This confusion, this shouting, this baying mob. But there are those who hear Jesus' voice in spite of all that background noise. And they recognize it as the voice of their shepherd. They recognize it as the voice of the good shepherd. All the other voices belong to strangers, hired hands, and fake shepherds. They're not worth following. In fact, that way leads to death. Jesus said, I've come that they may have life and have it to the full. Let us follow Jesus with a renewed sense of purpose, an intentionality, a determination such as we've never had before. Only through Jesus will we find life, true life, eternal life, fullness of life. Jesus is the good shepherd and he leads us into everlasting life. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we acknowledge that there are so many voices that are heard every day through all kinds of mediums. And we recognize as well there is only one voice that we need to to listen to. And that is the voice of your son, Jesus Christ, the good shepherd. And we pray, Father, that in fact, Jesus' voice will drown out all the other voices that are coming at us. We pray that we will hear that voice and that we will follow Jesus with our whole hearts. Knowing that uh, he is the good shepherd who loves us, cares for us and feeds us. Father, we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.